and welcome to the Vertiguys show. I'm Sean. And I'm Eric. And we are the aforementioned Vertiguys. We're checking out the dark side of DC. We're here to recap and review Vertigo Comics. That is the imprint in which the darker side of DC is published. Starting with the big three, Sandman, Preacher, Hellblazer. John Constantine Hellblazer to you. Yeah, that's the one we're going to talk about this week. This is Hellblazer number 37 and 38. Now, the last time we left Hellblazer, he was in a bit of a situation. A bit of a situation. Yeah, well, he had gone to see a couple of old friends over some general feelings of being a shitty person who was having a bad time. Ennui. <laughs> That's a way of putting it. He had sought out the help of old friends Marge and Mercury. Mercury has sort of telepathic, empathic abilities that allowed her to help, and he also slept with Marge. Yeah. It's important to note that one ability Mercury does not have is the ability to legally buy a drink. That's true. She is a teenager. So, yeah, he's hanging out with these old friends, kind of getting over the darkness that has led him here. Yeah, and we kind of have a duo of issues here in which Constantine himself is pushed to the background a little bit. Yeah. And these are just kind of like a little drop-in. It's their own self-contained thing before we kind of continue with the story of Constantine's ennui, which will play into the final Jamie Delano story arc. Yeah, the focus this week is on Mercury. These issues are written by Jamie Delano, with art by Steve Pugh returning. That Steve Pugh? The same Steve Pugh that with the with the devil and the cowboy and the, you know, Saint of Killers miniseries? Yeah, yeah, and he also did the dog issue a couple of issues ago. Right. Yeah. Colors by Tom Zuiko and a cover by Kent Williams, or rather two covers by Kent Williams. Did we ever get Dave McKeon back on covers? For this book? I don't know. Well, the first one, we have a naked guy flanked by some slides of meat. Yeah, okay, I thought they were lungs. Mm. I wrote guy and some lungs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think they're meant to be a sort of half pigs there. So, we open on young Martin Ackland. As uh, usual, Martin wakes early. Yeah, and as usual, he dives straight back beneath the waves of sleep. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. His surroundings here are notably idyllic with the beautiful foliage and the birds singing, but he doesn't want any part of it. He just goes back to sleep. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of an old-fashioned ideal of the idyllic rural life. Mm-hmm. His father's already awake and already playing with a knife, as is his want. <laughs> yeah, Martin is woken repeatedly and keeps going back to sleep. I think he goes back to sleep four times on this page. At one point, he hears the chattering scorn of the songbirds, which is kind of harsh. Bit of a persecution complex there. The songbirds probably don't mean anything by it. (laughs) Right. But by contrast, his father farts and splashes in the bathroom. So they're getting on each other's nerves. He notices that his father is singing to himself. He says, his father sounds cheerful. It must be a killing day. His father is singing body songs, and we can guess that he's doing so pretty loudly. Martin is dreading the killing day. He is eventually woken for the final time by... uh, He's not going to die today. I just meant that he actually stayed awake. (laughs) Right, yeah. By the bacon slicer downstairs. Yeah, his father is taking great joy in putting together a breakfast that he knows his son will hate. Yeah, bacon, which in this case is ham, and some sausage. And a sign tells us the name of his father, Archibald Ackland Butcher. He's also an inconsiderate bathroom sharer. 
Yeah, and a misogynist twat to his wife, who he refers to as a stupid mare for the first of many times. Yeah, so we're beginning to get the sense of something which we'll pick up in a page or two. Uh, Martin's a vegetarian, and his father has insisted on making him a breakfast of several meats, and ordered his mother to cook it over her objection. I'm sick of his nonsense. It's time he grew up, and if he gives me any of that girly meat-is-murder manure, I'll bruise him, birthday or not. Meat-is-murder? Possibly a reference to the song and record by the Smiths? Could be. Which is about, you know, meat and why you shouldn't eat it. So it is Martin's 18th birthday today. Martin is a vegetarian, and his father means to have him kill something today. He, the first time he sees Martin, stop moping about like a sick heifer and get some food down your neck. Constantly comparing people to animals. Yeah, that's true. There's a whole livestock thing with this guy. Mom is somewhat nicer. She wishes him a happy birthday, and she says she's given him a gift by his bike. He's got this breakfast in front of him, and he says, Thanks, Mom, but you know I can't eat this. You better eat it, boy. That's prime meat and fresh offal. It'll thicken you and liven your juices. I love that he thinks a fresh offal is a real incentive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And not for the last time, he also essentially calls Martin a girl here. Right. He tries to insult him by comparing him to to a woman. Yeah. So he refuses to eat the meat. Archie knocks him over. There's a panel here where he's at the end of the table, but he looks like he's like 20 feet away. Oh, okay. Um, Then he goes after the missus. He's just being generally terrible. Uh, He picks up a knife here and threatens his wife with it. Oh, I thought the knife was Martin's birthday present. Oh, no, we find out what the birthday present is in a page or two. Well, maybe it's his birthday present from Archie. But it's not his birthday present from mom. Right. His birthday present from his mom, we will find out in a minute here. And it's actually kind of neat. His birthday present from his dad, I thought, was the knife. Okay, that makes sense. So as demonstration of the fact that Martin has to kill something today, he's holding a knife to his wife's ribs. And he says... You're a man now. It's time you did a man's work. That's our title drop right there. It's time, being the title of this issue. What? Uh, no. You did? Some of these letters are very fucking large, my friend. (laughs) Man's work. I gotcha. Man's work. And hey, John Constantine's in this book. Yeah, briefly. He's under the heart of gold bus. He's trying to fix her. He's not actually very useful at this. This is not my kind of job, Marge. Marge is also under the bus with him. Taking two of them to fix the bus at this point. Bloody hell, John. You're like a cow with a gun. Ah, it's hot. (laughs) Hold the spanner, not the manifold. Now, Mercury takes advantage of their distraction to sneak out of the bus and over the fence into the Wildlife Reserve, which we have been told is one of Martin's favorite places to get away from his awful family life. Time to make herself scarce. Finding there's no coffee could just be the last straw. She's already in the doghouse for keeping them moving half the night. Right, Mercury has kept them driving all night to get here specifically, uh, where the bus broke down knowing that there's something she's supposed to do here. She's had a premonition. Now we get a double-page spread here of Mercury just walking and thinking. She knows that she has a good reason for insisting that they be here. She just doesn't know what that reason is yet. Life on the Heart of Gold, she thinks, has been getting better, especially since John is getting over the darkness that brought him here. But still, she's ashamed of her arrogance in showing him his terror, like one of the scaredies. 
Yes, that's right. The previous issue of Hellblazeman, she showed John Constantine his death, an experience which nearly hastened it. Yeah, when he tried to choke himself to death. Nearly succeeded. We have an interesting kind of two-page layout here where we've got panels of Mercury walking through the wildlife preserve interspersed with panels of her face and lots of narration of her thoughts. She's thinking about how emotions power people, but also make them unstable. John is powered by fear. It works, but she thinks, why make fear your fuel when it could be love or hope? It is at this point that she realizes she's being watched. Now, without even a change in the color of the backdrop of the thought panels, we cut abruptly into the thoughts of Martin. Which, maybe that works because she's telepathic? His thoughts are literally intruding on hers? Who is she? Not local. She must be something to do with the hippie bus parked over on the road. She looks nice. Did she see him? That's the trouble with binoculars. They tempt you to spy. She pops up in front of him and goes, (laughs) (laughs) There's no line of that movie that's not a classic. (laughs) Including, Um, the binoculars. Yeah, that's right. She apologizes for scaring him. She doesn't actually hold up a gaffy stick at any point in here. She doesn't dance whirling her deadly gaffy stick. <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't knock one of his legs off. The musical number. The binoculars are the gift from his mom. Right, she says, nice binoculars. Can I have a look? If you want, yes. I just got them. Birthday present from my mom. Shouldn't think you can see much through that eye anyway. How'd you get it? He's got a big purple eye here. Birthday present from my dad. Mercury turns around and watches the Heart of Gold, which I thought was pretty funny. She, you know, snuck away to get some distance from John and Marge, but as soon as the opportunity arises, she's only a hundred yards away, and she just turns around and looks right back at them, watches them through the binoculars. She's not perhaps as detached as she'd like to be. Looks like I've been missed. I suppose I better go back and see what's happening. She hands the binoculars back. Thanks, Martin. I'm Mercury, by the way. Mercury? That's a strange name. Well, I'm a strange person, Martin. She invites Martin along, offering him a cup of tea and an herbal potion for his eye. Did he never give his name and she just started saying it? That is correct. Because he picked it up without it being dropped. Elsewhere we find John and Marge snarking at each other. This is the first time that we get a good look at Constantine in this issue, and he is looking extra sting-like in this art by Steve Pugh. That's a good call. It's worth noting that either he didn't use an ink over pencils process or he did both the pencils and the inks. In either case, he's the only credited artist. So Mercury introduces John and Marge to Martin and it's at this point that he catches that she knew his name without his mentioning it. Truth, chap. Looks like you need a steak for that shiner. Yeah, so he's constantly confronted with the non-vegetarianism of other people. Yeah, that's the last thing that he needs. (laughs) Mercury asks Martin why he doesn't just leave, since his home life is awful. (laughs) Sometimes literally. (laughs) (laughs) Fresh awful. I'm thinking haggis for dinner after this. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, right. He says he's staying for his mom so she won't be alone with dad. Yeah, his dad's fucking crazy. So at this point that a big green truck rumbles by with a bed full of pigs and a pig doll mounted on the front. Yeah, I noticed that pig logo. Very cheeky. His father has quite a sense of humor about his work. If you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. This is Archie, and he orders Martin to get aboard, come along. Mercury, 
fearlessly strolls up and introduces herself to Archie. Hello, you must be Martin's dad. I've been hearing all about you. What of it? Who's this bunch of bloody jippos you took up with then? Ragtag and bleeding bobtail. Ruddy peacenicks, I'll bet. John flicking his cigarette past Archie. Don't bank on it. Yeah, like, don't bet on John Constantine being a peacenik. Yeah, that's pretty will, cool. He will whoop you. He calls them jippos. That's obviously derived from gypsies, which in a previous episode is a word we discussed how you shouldn't say. Yeah. Mercury can sense the thirst and the fear from the pigs in the bed of the truck, but Archie reassures her they'll be dead in a couple of hours. Slobbering beasts. John looks like he's about to start something. Now you're a nice bastard, aren't you? Churchill? Archie's dog, Churchill? A vicious dog? Peeks his head out of the truck? Her. Yeah, and we get some more dog horror here. Yeah, John, in fact, says, Christ, I'm sick of dogs. Which is a reference to number 32. His run-in with a dog possessed by an evil human ghost. New tricks. So they just bring Steve Pugh in whenever they need scary dogs, I guess. Yeah, apparently. Well, I guess he's the Sam Keith of dogs. <laughs> oh man, that guy could draw a cat. Yeah, like uh, real good. Mercury has her own take on this. Well, you know what they say, don't you? Big dog, small dick. Dirty mouth, little slut. Needs a hide tanning. Martin gets in the truck and they take off. <laughs> Bye, Martin. John and Marge continue joking about Martin. Mercury tells them to lay off, and John jokes, "Whoops, looks like love, Marge." So Constantine and Marge are preparing to go. They need to walk to the nearest outpost of civilization Yeah, for supplies to fix the van. Yeah, that's right. Mercury says that she needs to stay. She has a duty here, and John trusts her to do so. Right, he says. I suppose I think it's up to Mark to know what she needs. That's right, Mark says. In the truck, Archie is talking about killing. It's natural, he says, but he also reveals that he enjoys it. Nothing like steel in a sow's belly to make a man feel alive. Yeah, so I have an English degree and I'm going to use it. Archie and his friends, when they talk about killing, they almost always do so in very penetrative, very orgasmic terminology. Yeah, and it'll become increasingly clear before this story arc is over that, like, slaughter and sex are all one big thing to Archie Ackland. Yeah, all rolled up together. Stop looking at me as if I was shot on your boot, and don't make an arse of me in front of the blokes. Remember, I'm the boss, and you're my son. We meet Archie's employees. One of them does a bit here with a glass eye. Yeah, I wondered why this guy was wearing a suit and tie to slaughter pigs in. That's a good point. I mean, he's dressed like a real old country gentleman, and he has the, the gilly boots on. Yeah, yeah. A flat cap. Pulls out his glass eye to scare Martin a bit. Right. This guy, Charlie, this is the same guy. He has a dog that Archie is eager to fight against Churchill. But Charlie's not interested. He knows his dog will get killed. Right. Do we ever find out the name of his dog? I don't think so. Yeah, so... These are the blokes. The aforementioned blokes. Martin has the job for now of leading the pigs to the slaughter. He's supposed to let them out of the truck in a controlled manner. He can hear them crying in the truck bed. He knows that they can smell death in the slaughterhouse. Again, the image of the girl, Mercury, eases into his mind. Her eyes are clear, kind, but reproachful, accusing. 
Martin has always known that he isn't part of this, but before, he'd never known anywhere he'd rather be. Charlie comes up to Martin and gives him a speech about how he's gonna be in blood up to his armpits. Afterwards, you feel good, calm, when it's all gone quiet and your dad's passing around the bottle. Might give you a queer turn since it's your first time. Best get the stench in your lungs quickly. Keep your breakfast down. Yeah, it seems like Charlie is genuinely trying to be of help here, although it's not comforting to Martin. And Martin, whether intentionally or unintentionally, opens the wrong gate of the truck. Yeah, I want to talk about this here. He can feel a ringing in his head, and, and he believes that he can feel Mercury watching him. He feels strange. There's a pressure, a ringing in his head. He can almost feel her watching him, waiting for him to do what's right, he says. That's when he turns the wrong latch and lets all the pigs out of the truck. Yeah, he lets them out the wrong way so they're not funneled towards the slaughterhouse. Right, so he's, he's done what he thinks is the right thing to do here. Now, is Mercury using her psychic powers to control his actions? To control his actions? I don't think so. I think that she's sort of feeling him even at the distance. And he certainly has a sense that she judges being part of this slaughter as the wrong thing. We see that his binoculars are still on the table. He left them behind in the caravan. And it says here that Mercury feels infatuated, like someone in a Mills and Boone. Can you enlighten us as to the meaning of Mills and Boone? It's a publisher of romance novels. Ah, okay, okay. And then she goes outside and starts thinking about how the planet is dying. Yeah, she's feeling how the beauty of nature here is an illusion covering up corruption. If you sniff even the briskest wind, you can taste it, faint but sulfurous. If you listen hard, you can even hear it, screaming. It seems like she's infatuated with Martin, but she's also really annoyed by that because she doesn't approve of his working in a slaughterhouse. I wondered if that had to do a bit with her experience in The Fear Machine. In some ways, this story is kind of a direct sequel to Fear Machine for Mercury, and ties back to it with a number of thematic and visual elements. And in Fear Machine, she had been astral projecting into the secret hideout where Webster was hanging all of those people. A very slaughterhouse-like atmosphere. Yeah, they both had that kind of notion of slaughter. Yeah, and, and Archie rather resembles Webster. They're both, you know, short, bald men with a very business-like attitude towards slaughter. <laughs> well, in Archie's case, he mixes business with pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, well, this time she's just using binoculars. The dog is helping them to round up the pigs. And she decides, hold on, Martin, I'm coming. Yeah, they've recaptured all the pigs here, although Churchill caught and killed one. Charlie tells one of the pigs, get your fanny in there, you fat old slag. So once again, like, the disdain for animals and the misogyny is all getting rolled up into one big package. Yeah, that's right. They call women animals and they direct misogynistic nicknames at the animals. Right. Archie, however, says that they haven't caught quite all the pigs. No, it ain't. Not quite. You missed the runt. And he picks up Martin and chucks him over the fence into the pen with the pigs. Yeah, so I wondered how much danger is Martin actually in here. Is this just indignity being tossed in with the pigs? Or is there like a real threat of him being trampled? I'm not so much worried about his being trampled as I am, You love the little piggy wigs so much, I'll treat you like one. Well, yeah, obviously that comes later. Yeah. 
So they start so, the slaughter of the pigs, and it's really gory, and we see all the pigs fear, and that they very much know what they're headed towards. Yeah, and Martin is pressed into the corner here, watching in terror as the rest of the pigs are led to the slaughter, wondering sort of what is waiting for him. Archie, his eyes glowing red, wields a bloody butcher knife. Now he really reminds me of Webster. Yeah, and he has a sort of awful face. You know, beyond ugly. He's like twisted up and semi-demonic. Each of them is equally desperate to be furthest from the goading men, prolonging futilely the time of their helpless delivery to grinning oblivion. To be continued. So that brings us to the end of Hellblazer number 37, Man's Work, and to Hellblazer number 38, Boy's Games. On the cover, we have what looks to be a bald guy between two bloody wings. Or maybe their sides of meat again? Much more abstract this time. I thought he was inside a rib cage. Yeah, yeah. Blood running down the cover. Quite nasty. Now here we get Mercury watching, and she makes an explicit comparison to the fear machine. Fools rush in. Too much haste. Look before you leap. Mercury hadn't expected it to be so strong, so foul, like the fear machine. Instinct triggered by Martin's frantic need, her mind had been wide open as she rushed toward the horror. His fear is primal, contagious, the paralyzing helplessness of weakness staring at the face of violence. It is now apparently dark, by the way, and it seems that most, if not all, of the pigs have been slaughtered, leaving only Martin in the pen. We see the sides of meat hanging up. Yeah, Martin has basically gone into a fugue state from fear, and she can feel it spreading to her through her powers, but she's trying to shut it out enough to focus. For the men, though, the slaughter is over far too soon. Their frenzy has peaked prematurely, and now they feel, what? Something elusive and disturbing, a disappointment. But once again, the attitude of the men towards the slaughter is rather explicitly coital. The raw passion of their violence is satisfied, but a lust for cruelty is left unfulfilled. Men turn on Martin. Archie drags him into the slaughterhouse by his hair, commenting how pigs sometimes sound like they're trying to talk. Yeah, they hang up Martin and maybe hit him with a cattle prod? Oh yeah, I think that's true. And then they splash blood all over him. Archie goes on here about eating humans as he cuts Martin's clothes off with a knife. Long pig, they calls him in the South Seas, boss. They spray him with a hose and then they sit down to play cards. Maybe they're not going to eat him after all. Just psychological torment. Yeah, it, I think... Remains to be seen how far they're going to take this. And it does seem like the blokes are playing along, just hoping Archie will get it out of his system a right. little bit. Mercury has a train of thought here about how they're not animals, they're men. In the sense that they're worse because they're men and they're aware of what they're doing. Yeah, and they're trying to drag Martin down with them. The damned always demand company. But she stands up and yells, Stop it! Wow, stop me! Look at this, the other squealing little shoat. That's how you pronounce that word, right? Shoat? Yeah, I think that's mm. right. That's a juvenile pig? Quite possibly. <laughs> we could look this up for you, folks, but we think, we think it'd be more fun if you did it yourself. <laughs> I was confused for a minute there because a shoat and a stoat, I guess, are both pigs. Oh, okay, but again, <laughs> not, not doing the research on this. The men muse about how they'd like to hang her up and cut her clothes off, too. But then she zaps them with a cattle prod. Fzzit! Keep away from me, you disgusting... Yeah, go Mercury. She also gets the knife away from him here. 
Archie calls Churchill, and we get another big scary dog panel. Courtesy of Steve Pugh. Man, that guy can draw a dog. Yeah, one of the guys here advises against, you know, letting his dog kill a child. <laughs> Archie's not the most prudent. Archie's not listening. But this is great. Churchill runs up and Mercury just, just rubs her nose against his. And he just rolls over. Well, well, he's really a lamb, isn't he? It'd be a shame to have to gut him, she says, brandishing the knife. Look at that, she's dazzled him. And now that Archie's power seems to have been broken, the rest of the men find the joke with Martin to be over and Charlie starts to let him down. And what are you doing? Letting him down. The joke's gone flat, Archie. Rub your legs, kid. Get the blood moving. We weren't really going to hurt him, girly. It's just our way of making him one of the boys. Martin's more or less catatonic here, but Mercury supports him and starts to lead him away from the slaughterhouse. We get more misogyny from Archie here. He talks about the useless bloody dog and the useless bloody boy. Fanny struck both of them. Now Charlie chooses this moment to take Archie up on his offer, staking 200 quid on his dog against Churchill. Archie makes a face, but he knows he can't back down. Mercury drags Martin zombie-like across the fields back to the Heart of Gold. His mind is too detached for her powers to reach. He's shell-shocked. She sees their reflection in the bus window, and she feels... Repetition, inevitability. A puzzling claustrophobia troubles her. The mirror image shows her mother doing this for John. So, that brings us to the dogfight. More animal cruelty. Yeah, we don't actually see the dogfight. We just watch Archie and Charlie's faces as they watch the dogfight. And Charlie has a pretty great, just as planned, face on. Charlie's dog wins, of course. I reckon my old dog's done for your Churchill then, Archie. It was that girl, boss. She stole all of Churchill's fight. Yeah, I've decided that one of the blokes is Liquid Snake. Oh, yeah, okay. What are you going to do about your animal, then? His throat's all chewed out, but he's still breathing. Is he? And he murders his dog with a bottle. Well, I guess you could say it's a mercy killing if his throat's all chewed out, but I don't think that's why he's doing it. Yeah, the guys think this is a bit extreme. I thought you would have shown a bit more respect, Archie. Churchill was a good dog. A good dog remembers Uzi's master. Phone rings and Archie answers. It's his wife, apparently wondering where Martin is. He calls her a mare again. He says that he'll bring Martin back when he's good and ready, and he just threatens her some. Yeah, he says <laughs> something really ominous. He says he'll be back when he feels like it. Don't worry, you'll know when I get there. Which is terrifying. Yeah. Next up, Archie comes up behind two of these guys and just wallops them. He asks, is the pet meat wagon loaded? Pet meat being the meat that's not fit for human consumption, the byproducts of the pigs. Two and a half tons of heads and innards. I was going to take it to the renderers tomorrow. Archie demands the keys and heads out. Yeah, Charlie says, don't fly off the handle, Archie. Have a game of cards. Wait till... And Archie slugs him in the face, knocks his hat off, and says, Shop, Charlie. Back at the Heart of Gold, we find Mercury asleep with Martin in her arms. They're wrapped up in a blanket here. They're sitting up in the bus, and suddenly there's a light. It's all right. He's going. Just trying to scare us. He starts turning around. No, he's reversing. He's going to tip. And he... That's right. He backs up the meat wagon and pours all the blood and guts in through the windshield of the Heart of Gold. Ha 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 ha! Meat and mess, boy. That's all you'll find under the skin of beasts and women. 
Or haven't you got that far yet? At this point, Martin charges out of the bus wielding a random bone. Yeah, and he looks quite frightful. Shirtless, covered in blood. Face is almost completely cast in shadow for the panels on this page. Yeah, half in shadow. And he wallops Archie in the side of the head with the bone and a loud crack. After he gets a few good hits in, Mercury stops him. It's his violence, love. His disease. Don't you catch it? He deserves it. He needs to be taught. But that's not the way to do it. That's the man's way. All he'll do is respect you for it. I know a much better way. Don't I, Mr. Butcher Ackland? I know what really scares you, and she gets her hand on his face, kind of Vulcan mind melt style. I was going to say that. We're both nerds. (laughs) So she is showing him his terror. Yeah, and at this point, she does something to Archie's mind that he never comes back from. Yeah, it seems like she was concerned about the arrogance that led her to show someone their terror at the beginning of the issue, and she seems to have found the circumstance in which it was the right thing to do. Sort of found her purpose, after all. Archie's driving home drunk, intent on showing his wife he's not afraid. It's my meat, and I'll chop it and shape it anyhow I like, because I'm the cock, and this is where I roost. I'm the cock, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really not subtle. His wife, Elsie, hears the wagon roar up, and she wakes up lying still and terrified in bed. She knows he'll come in stinking of meat, and he'll hurt her if he finds her. Yeah, this is a really awful page. I mean, we really get a look at, like, this is this is the routine of her entire life for, like, you know, decades. Yeah, yeah. Is just this constant cycle of domestic abuse. We're told that before it was Archie, it was her father. Right. She's never known a safe place. She's been terrorized by loud men all her life. She goes and hides in Martin's room, hides in Martin's bed, and she's hoping to herself that Martin will leave soon and find a safe place for himself. Yes, she's also hoping that Archie will fall asleep before he finds her. I'm home, woman, and I want what's mine. Now, he's too drunk to stand, but he's crawling up the stairs, which are weirdly winding here. Yeah, they do look a little nightmarish in this panel. Archie feels ill. His heart beats with a sick wobble. The world twists around him as his mind squirms, fly-blown. Good. Good? I'm saying good. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got it coming. Well, this is pretty fucking blunt here, as it's saying, essentially, that he's pissed at Mercury and he wants to rape somebody because of it. Yeah, but also, like, she sort of half-killed him. Yeah. He reaches the bedroom, he whips his belt off, but there's nobody there. Elsie has gone hiding in another room. And then we find out that he needed that belt. Well, his pants fall down, yes. And cause him to trip down the stairs. Well, yeah, he charges back down the stairs with his pants around his ankles. Sounds safe. He stumbles into the meat freezer, thinking she might be hiding in there. I'll sniff you out. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the stink of an old cow's bum. (laughs) And this is where he finds... I'm going to describe this. A woman in dominatrix gear with a pig's face. Yeah, and a pig's... Well, certain features of a pig's body. It's really weird. This is the culmination of his fantasy. Women and beasts kind of represented in a single avatar. You've been a bad boy again, haven't you, Archibald? And he also says... Oh, she says it. What a terrible thing you've done to your mother. Yeah, so she 
opens up her abdomen, revealing a fanged maw. She opens up her corset, and her abdomen opens too. Yeah. And as she's pulling him into said fanged maw, her head is sliced off and flies off as blood sprays everywhere. This is... This is some fucked up shit. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the gorier, creepier deaths, and the sort of, like, sexy, you know, not actually sexy, but sexualized pig monster just makes it so much more creepy than any of the gore that we've ever seen before, you know? Yeah, yeah. She says, as you said, see what a terrible thing you've done to your mother. I don't know what the full implication of that is. Not hard to imagine that his mother was abusive with him. Possible even that he killed her? Seems strongly implied that she was abusive towards him, at least. There's never a reveal, a full reveal of what that means. This is like, I'm just imagining the the conference that led to this moment. So, Jamie Delano, it's it's going to be your last couple of issues on Hellblazer. You're going to leave us with an indelible image to really make your mark as an author on the title. Oh, I got something. I got something. Sexy pig lady dominatrix with a vagina dentata. <laughs> That's strong, Jamie. But is it strong enough? Ah, uh, she's his mum? <laughs> Oh no. It's really scary. Yeah, I mean, I've talked before, I think I talked before with regard to the um, Grant Morrison issues. The, the uh, nuke. The, yeah, the Archbishop Bomb story arc. Right. That, you know, that this book was often appreciably scary, but there were very few, like, moments that were nightmarishly disturbing to the point that they were difficult to read, and this is certainly one of them. Yeah. This... Some of the worst Nurgle stuff, the Norfolk thing, yeah, all kind of come to mind. Well, um, so if you're looking for some remarkably fucked up comics, like this is top drawer crazy. <laughs> the Vertigais have got you covered. <laughs> <laughs> so it's morning. John and Marge walk back to the bus. And as they are, Marge is telling a story about how she's worried what Mark may have gotten up to. Right. The first time my mother left me alone overnight, she came home to find half the local chapter of the Satan Slaves Motorcycle Club passed out in the front garden, and the other half in her bed. With me. So, Marge isn't actually doing anything about it, but at least she's showing maternal concern. (laughs) Yeah, and then they get to the bus, and it's all covered with guts, and the windshield's all smashed up, and there's scavenger birds flying around. Hope this is nobody I knew, John says. Sorry about the mess. Things got a bit wild last night. Yeah, Mercury and Martin are nearby. Apparently didn't sleep in the blood-strewn bus. If I were you two, I'd go back to bed for a while. I think your mother needs to have a lie down, says Constantine. Later, the bus is back on the road, but Marge and Mercury aren't speaking with each other yet. John, would you ask my daughter if her friends staying on the bus are getting off somewhere? Please tell my mother to stop somewhere near the village. Martin wants to go home. Yeah, so they're taking Martin home. He would like to come with, he says, but he has to deal with his father. It's his responsibility. He can't leave his mother alone with him. Now someone thinks we're the public transport. There's a hitchhiker thumbing a ride at the bus stop. Yes, possibly mistaking them for a real bus. <laughs> Let's take her fare for the windscreen fund. And it's uh, it's Elsie. It's Martin's mother. It turns out she's left Archie. He finally went over the edge, son. I came down this morning and found him in the cool room, half frozen in his underpants. Three parts inside a pork carcass. Made me feel sick, but then he always did. What's happened to your window, then? The end. Wow. That 
was a comic book. <laughs> you know, I feel like I shouldn't be the one to say, but it's a horror comic. No, you're. it's not bad. It's got thematic cohesion. It's got some really creepy shit in it. It does a good job of connecting horror to social issues. Mm-hmm. Pew, we've noted before for his very grody artwork, and this is a story that really makes use of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, you've got a truckload of pig guts being spilled on their bus. Yeah. I really struggle to decide what the nastiest part of this issue is. (laughs) So, you wanted to talk about vegetarianism. Well, so this made me wonder if Jamie Delano was a vegetarian. And do you have anything on this? I, I don't have an answer as to whether he is vegetarian. Certainly the story takes the view that the slaughter of animals is both disgusting and reprehensible. Okay, well... So I did a little research on it, and in a Goodreads interview Mm -hmm. within the last few years, Jamie Delano noted that he himself is not a vegetarian. Okay. But he has lots of vegan friends, and he's done a lot of serious thinking about animal rights. Okay. And we're, I think, seeing that thinking here. But this isn't really about the plight of the poor animals. This is more about... Archie Ackland's sickness. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a logic there to the idea that there are things... There's stuff going on that you don't really like looking at. That's something that we touched on in a political sense with John in the last couple of story arcs, the idea that there's nastiness in the world that he can't ignore. Right. And here we're seeing that the slaughter of animals is really horrific up close. Yeah, it's it's an ugly business when you see how the sausage is made. It's really not pretty. Yeah. There's a fundamental level on which it's a story about compassion and the lack thereof. Yeah. Archie isn't just discompassionate to the animals that he slaughters for uh, for fun and profit, but also just has no ability or interest in understanding his son's vegetarianism or his son's compassion for same animals. Yeah, and I think that cruelty is explicitly coded as male. In this story, while compassion is explicitly coded as female. Yeah, Marge described Mercury as bloody Saint Mercury in the last couple of issues, and here she's quite beatific. Well, yeah, and she says that violence is the man's way, and if Martin were to use violence against Archie, he would only respect you for it. Right, he thinks that he's toughening Martin up, and if he were to respond with violence, Archie would consider that a success. Right. Mercury has to accept over the course of this story her compassion and the power that it gives her and the responsibility that it gives her. She's dealing with an especially difficult situation in which to remain open and reaching out to people. Quite an ugly character, Archie Ackland. Just a really, like, bone-chilling portrayal of, you know, to quote the Smiths again, brutality begins at home. Yeah, and... And that's a recurring theme of the series, too, is the idea that some of the worst horror originates in the human heart. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing really supernatural that goes on here at all, except for Mercury's powers. All the horror comes from just a bad guy. (laughs) Right. Yeah, a bad guy who could easily exist in real life. Yeah. Okay, in our next Hellblazer episode, 
we'll be covering the final Jamie Delano story arc. Join us for The Magus. But first, we'll see you next week as Preacher does not appear in The Story of You-Know-Who. Right, and two weeks from now will be our Sandman Universe number one special. I won't see you there. <laughs> Vertigais is written and performed by Eric and I. Our music is by Kelly Joyce Fielder. Sean produces the show. I handle social media. If you like our show, why don't you check out our website at vertigais.blueberry.com. That's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y in this context and not in other contexts. Right, that's not normally how you spell blueberry. If you want to send us an email, vertigais at gmail.com is open for your messages, your suggestions. If you have questions, we'll read them on air. If you have positive feedback that you happen to leave on the Apple Podcasts app, we will also read that on air. You can reach us on Twitter at Vertigais. You can reach me at BlankCastSean. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Vertigais. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> so no, this is how it would go. It would be like, hmm, Batman, this is Riddler. My superior intellect, I have the Catwoman. <laughs> if you want to save her, Batman, this is Catwoman. I have the Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to save him, <laughs> Batman is not interested. <laughs> you know, he's just like, boop. <laughs> he just cuts that transmission. If you want to save the Riddler, boop. <laughs>